You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast between myself, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. Today, we are sat on the sofa, and I'm really proud of our selections, arrangements, and favourite, most worthy bulbs and plants to plant in your gardens this autumn. And we thought we'd both just do a chat of our favourite things, so you get a sort of list from us both of our favourite things from the range this year that you can buy. I agree with you that in a way it's nice for people to have things highlighted because I know when I'm shopping from big catalogues, it's so easy to get sort of bogged down because there's so much and I end up putting post-its and lots of things and then feeling a bit overwhelmed and and not really, you know, I I can't buy all of it. So putting it away and not ordering anything really. So I I, I thought it, I think it is a good idea. So I'm going to kick off with something that lots of you probably already know and perhaps have grown. And it's our Venetian tulip collection. Now, in a way, that's a really boring thing to start with because we've been selling this for 15 or 16 years. And I wanted to to sort of focus on it individually because actually quite often we don't grow things every year here because obviously we can't in the garden at Perchill because we just have such a massive range. But we will have grown them regularly and trialed them before, and everything's photographed here. But with the Venetian tulip collection, it's been such a classic for such a long time. I thought this spring, I really wanted it in the garden again. So last autumn, we planted it just in a pair of pots in the annual cutting garden as you go through the Hawthorn hedge. And up it came, and it was just really heart lifting. It's on my way to feed and let out the hens in the morning and again in the evening to put them away which we're having to do carefully at the moment because there's a fox around and it's just beautiful it's absolutely beautiful it's the right heights they all flower together the textures are amazing there's the crimson havran the orange princess irene with a crimson feathering on it which matches the havran and then the red cooler cardinal and the foliage is this lovely silvery gray and it just is triumphantly good easy to grow. We do them in lasagnas. So you mix up the three lots of bulbs in a bucket and then plant them in three layers with about three or four inches of compost between each layer. So the bottom layer is, you know, is good eight inches deep, basically, if not even more. And up they come and they're just unbelievably reliable, pretty perennial too, and just a cracker. So I I just had to open with that. Mm. Over to you, Arthur. I do agree with you that one. I'm I'm thinking of planting that one in in the garden central copper that we've got, just because they are so good. I think in weather and the springs are becoming more and more unpredictable. They're classic shapes of tulips too, aren't they? And I think sometimes we forget that people maybe are a bit daunted by all these strange and wonderful things that we grow new each spring. So I I am also going back to the Venetian a little bit this autumn. Can I just interrupt there, actually? Because <laughs> I've remembered um, we're forever trying to find a new Venetian collection, you know, something that is as good or, you know, equivalent. And actually, we did. We had a real success in 2020, spring 2020, 
no, 20, yeah, 2020, sorry, I can never remember because we were over so many years. And it's called the Spring Sunset Tulip Collection. It's different, but similar, and it's similar with the same height, same beautiful textures. It's got purple and orange in it, but instead of Princess Irene, it's got Slower, which is this beautiful plum-coloured outer petal, and then the edge of the petal is this wonderful sort of faded tapestry orange, and that has been a real, real success. I absolutely love that. So that's a new one, actually, in the catalogue this autumn, Spring Sunset Tulip Collection, and I adore it. So I just thought I'd mention that quickly. Sorry to interrupt. Back over to you. Very good. Um, so the, the reason I wanted to do this episode was to co- sort of get it into people's heads how I go through any bulk catalogue, to be honest. And here I've got a sheet of paper and I've just torn out or cut out and blue tacked onto the paper my bulb lasagna recipe, which will feature in most of the pots. So I just find that's very helpful in getting your head around how, in particular, a pot is going to really give a small garden or a large garden proper clout for, you know, almost four or five months, thinking about the pot giving interest as soon as it's planted up from late November right the way through to the end of May. So I've looked first at what my pot toppers are going to be. And I'm going for a combination of winter kale, which is a new collection for us. I think that's come about because I keep Mm. banging on about kale so much. Mm -hmm. Not as necessarily used as a bed garden you can eat it regardless of where it's planted but i want it more for foliage mm. um because Lovely. i don't want to see a pot with nothing on the top mm-hmm. and the wonderful thing about kale is if you leave it to flower it really does fill that gap between the tulips all going over and needing deadheading and your summer bedding not being in flower yeah. and the bees love it so, I so planted, you're talking sort of yeah, May, is yeah. April, May. Yeah. yeah. And I planted one last year by the door of my grandma Sheila's and she's got doors with where the grass is like you can't see through the glass. And mm. it was like a haze of yellow. And she kept ringing me saying, I keep seeing this haze of yellow. And it's making me smile because mm. the kale flowers. It's not just foliage, mm. it does flower. Yeah. So that's going to be Lovely. the top. But because I also want a scent, I'm going to combine it with a few plugs of the Sunset Wallflower Collection. Yeah because I love the orange and red tones of that. Yeah. The bees again love them. Yeah. And the, the scent by the door is is gorgeous. Yeah, that was on my list. So I, I'm glad you've nicked one because okay. I've got too many. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, the chances are, wherever you're getting your wallflowers from, you will have to get them way before you're planting your bulbs. Mm. So when they arrive, they'll get potted up into a nine centimetre pot. Really good mix of compost, richest mm. compost you've got. And actually, I do often have to feed them because mm. if they get hungry, they just go yellow and sulk. Yeah, uh, but be careful with the overwatering of the wallflowers before they go into the main pots. They they do have a tendency to sulk if they get too wet. So um, that's the top thing to think about wallflowers. So they're all potted up, waiting to go. And then when it comes to planting my bulbs, I always do bulb lasagnas because mm. that's something Sarah's taught me. I'd never just plant one variety of tulip. I'd do a collection. And my favourite collection from the catalogue this year is a collection that when I saw it, I thought, oh, that's one I've done, but it wasn't. (laughs) It was one done by Jasper Conran. How did that come about, Sarah? So Jasper is a sort of friend, work colleague of mine, and he came here to do a talk, actually, this time last year, I think. Mm. And, And he did a whole presentation about his house and his interiors and his gardens. And as as he was talking, it just struck me that I would love him to select from our tulips here and put together a collection because 
he he has just such classic good taste but not too conservative it's it's classic good taste with a whack a bit wacky and that's exactly what i love and so i asked him to select three tulips and sort of sent him various pictures of ones that I thought he might like. And we, we honed it down and we ended up with just three, uh, which I think you're going to talk yeah. about, but it, it, it is exactly that. It's a classic with whack. And, mm. and that's what's fun. I think mm. it's, it's a fantastic collection of three of my favorite all time varieties, actually black parrot, which is my favorite parrot. One of the best for being outside. It's not too big, so it won't just drop its head if it's a windy day. Yeah. Quite perennial too in the border. And, um, we, he's paired that with a beautiful new peony type tulip called Palmyra, mm. which is very early, mm. isn't it, for a peony? Yes. A beautiful mulberry ochre, a proper racehorse, dark claret, and a classic one of the first tulips I remember seeing in the catalogue when I first got it years ago that you've always sang the praises of. You used to have it on the Oast, I remember. Yeah. It's one of the earliest parrots called Rococo. Yeah. And it really is like, um, I don't know if many of you are familiar with baby parrots, but it's like um, a baby macaw, green-winged macaw chick, mm. just before it leaves the nest when all mm. the pin feathers are just coming out, the little blood blood feathers. And it's beautiful. It's it's not too tall, so it's very good for a pot. And again, it's very early. And when the sun comes out, it just ruffles itself open like a, a very happy starfish. So I'm really excited about this collection. There's a photo of it in, in a beautiful jug and mm. it looks beautiful, but I'm sure it's going to look just as gorgeous in a in a pot. Yeah, Rococo is such a good one because it's short. Mm. You know, most of the parrots have those huge heads and quite long, yeah. slightly soft stems. And so you can get that thing of them facing the soil rather than facing you or the sky. Whereas Rococo, because it's, I don't know, it's probably not much more than 30 or 40 centimeters mm. and it's got the head, but so it's early not too heavy-headed and these chunky, good support from the stems. So it's a very, very handsome variety. And I think if you're going to do one thing on your doorstep, just en masse, if you just want one, I would do a double layer of um, tulip rococo. But I agree with you, even better, I think, if you mix it with black parrot, which is a little taller, and palmyra, which is a little taller, but the but the, but the Rococo will really give that splash of scarlet. I couldn't mm. agree more. It's, it's a stunner. So I, I'm going to mention one other tulip collection before, or perhaps two actually, <laughs> that's all right, before we move off to other things. And for me, perenniality in tulips is really, really helpful. We have to plant between twenty and 25,000 tulip bulbs here every year. And actually, I'll come on to the, wow. the the best tool for that. That's another thing I wanted to talk about. But And that is such a lot to do. So if there's any way, and I have to totally confess, most of the planting, if not all the planting, is not done by me. It's done by Josie and the team here. But if there's any way that we can actually have tulips that are guaranteed to come back year on year on year, if we know where they are, so we perhaps may supplement a few or just leave them to get on with it, so much the better because it's another job we don't have to do. And there are two particularly good perennial collections that we've found are so reliable here. And the first is the plum and apricot, which is apricot fox uh, with Jan Roos as a pairing. And then it's also got request, which is scented. Now we've got that at the base of a privet hedge here. And it was planted nine years ago and it still comes back just as good every year. 
And the second lot is what um, we call the ultra-perennial tulip collection, and that's because they are, and they're planted in amongst the artichokes here on an east-facing bed. And in that is the most beautiful parrot with a huge, completely collapsing but very glamorous head called Green Wave, and then mm. the classic variety called Spring Green, which I'm, course, I'm sure lots of you know, um, which has got a green flash. And what we've found in the trials here over the last 25 years is that any tulip with a green flash over its petal seems to be not only really good at standing up to the weather, however wet the spring is, and even the wind, but also incredibly perennial. And I think it is because the green, if you actually look at the texture of the petal, it's waxier, it's stronger, it's more robust, it's more like a calyx. And so if there's really severe weather, it just doesn't bat an eyelid. It, it looks just as good after a heavy night in the wind and rain, and it comes back year on year. So those for me are complete and utter stalwarts. And um, they're just incredible performers over decades. And mm. I couldn't more passionately recommend them. Well said. I'm going to buy that collection for my grandma Sheila and plant it all through her um, geranium Roxanne. Because they're just worth getting into those herbaceous borders, aren't they? That you don't really want to disturb every year. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. And and you just know you're going to have a show for picking and, mm. and for the garden. So any more tulips from you? I just wanted to mention the bulb, the tulip planter. I'm just going to mention one that I'm going to combine. Well, two that I'm going to combine with the Comran collection because yeah. I love orange. And um, one is Cairo, which is short. Yeah. So that's going to complement with cocoa. Beautiful. And a slightly taller one is Princess Irene that some of you may have seen in the, the big copper at Sissinghurst in the the cottage garden. Mm. I love that one. There's also a variety that I like called Irene Parrot, which is sort of a sport of that. Yeah. So those three are going to be combined with that collection. Yeah. So they're, they're my top ones. So I would anticipate that Princess Irene mm. and Palmyra will come first. Hope so. Then they'll be joined by Rococo. And then I think you'll find Black Parrot and Cairo. But I think they will all be in flower yeah. at some point altogether. Mm. But some will be a bit early and some will be a bit yeah. late. But that's good because it means your mm. pots, because your garden is quite small. You haven't got room for lots of different things, but that will give you real longevity of, of glamour. Mm. And, and just I've got one final tulip to mention because it's literally just the most wonderful tulip. If I was only going to grow one, it would be ballerina. Oh, yeah. And it's tall. It's elegant, it's orange, which Arthur and I both love, and it is really strongly scented of freesias. Mm. And it's completely reliable, very perennial. So if I was sent to the moon, I would try a ballerina <laughs> in my rucksack and see whether it, it survived, um, because it, it is it's just it's classic, and I would be very sad in, to have a spring without any ballerina. Can I mention one more? Yeah, go on. Now then. you've mentioned ballerina. I've got to mention its cousin, brown sugar. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful one too. It's true. Again, scented, early, chunky, tall, long stems, brilliant for picking. Last 10 days in a vase, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's fantastic. So on kit, I, I just wanted to mention bulb planters. Mm. I mean, we're going to move on to narcissus and alliums in a bit, but particularly when you're planting in grass, which of course applies to narcissus more than anything, uh, but or in a border, which applies to alliums particularly, you, I remember once using a, a quite a cheap little hand planter and it was, it blunted really quickly so that oh, I had to press so hard 
and it's just all in the wrist. And the next morning, my wrist was like doubled in size. Well, it was the wrist. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was done in for about two weeks. Mm. And that's when I actually was at Great Dixton and they had a bulb planter, which is much more like a spade. So it's got a long handle and you then use your own weight and your foot on it because there's a sort of foot plate and you push it in you turn it slightly, it removes a core of soil, you plop a bit of grit, because we're on heavy clay here, you don't have to do that if you're not on heavy soil, into the base of the hole, in goes the bulb, then you get cut the next core, and out the top pops, from the bulb planter pops your previous core, which then goes in over the top. And actually, if you work in a team of three, you can have one person cutting the hole, the next person plopping in the grit and the bulb and the third person putting the core over the the from the original planting if you see what I mean and while the next person's moved to cutting the next core or just with two of you and you can get through hundreds in an in in less than an hour it just really makes it easy and you haven't got a knackered back and you haven't got a knackered wrist so for me, particularly planting in borders and grass, I would be lost without the good old bulb planter. And you can sharpen the ends just like you can with a traditional spade. So back to you. Should we move on to maybe alliums? Yep, let's let's do that. Um, there's a new new one on the block, which I love that we're, we're doing. I first saw it at Chatsworth actually growing in the, the main avenue that Becky Crowley used to plant up. It's one called Red Marican. Ah, um, yes. Beautifully tall and incredibly exotic it's kind of a unique color for an allium it's more red cherry pie Mm. um and as it as it comes out all the little yellow anthers you actually see them which is unusual it's the only allium that i've seen that shows its anthers Mm. and i just love its shape it's not particularly big but it's very tall and through other plants it really does steal the show so i'm excited about that one Mm. i've got two well sorry three really quickly Purple Sensation, absolute classic, incredibly good value, really rich purple, fantastic seed heads. Use it on the Christmas tree once it's dried, sprayed it silver. And then also my total favourite for that is Schubertii, mm. spelt like the composer. And they're huge and they are literally like a constellation in themselves. So there are little allium flowers at the centre and then some sort of a couple of inches out and then some a couple of inches out further from that. So at full scale, it can be quite a lot bigger than a football. You know, they are really, really impressive and they're beautiful in the garden and beautiful dried. But one completely brand new one to me this season, which isn't in the catalogue at all and won't be until 2023, is a variety called Summer Drummer. But I really recommend looking that one out if you can find that because it stands 10, 12 foot tall and it came into flower in June and it is still purple. And here we are, we're well into autumn and it's still purple. I think that's just amazing. So I've ordered loads more of that to put in the garden this year and um, I'm super excited by that. We had them in groups of three in the Oast Garden this year, but I want drifts of it now. I mean, I think it is quite pricey, but alliums are very perennial, particularly if you can put grit in the soil with them. So I, I think it's well worth doing. What next do you think, Arthur? Well, I must just mention one more, Nectar Scordum, oh, which yeah. the botanists listening will say is not really an allium, but it's I think it is part of that family, isn't it? Mm. I, I've planted that for a year on year. I always buy a few more because I do like them in pots. It's the best one for bees. They'll literally be underneath it like it's a little party under a chandelier. 
Mm. Um, it's just joyful to watch. So um, I would recommend that to any gardener. Mm. Um, it will self-sow itself a little bit, but I don't mind that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a beauty. And it also takes shade, actually. Yes. My mum has it in shade yeah. in her garden. Nectoscordum bulgaricum. That's it. Or sometimes called Sicilium, isn't it? Mm. Honey garlic, I think. Yeah, honey mm. garlic, exactly. Okay, so then for Narcissus, I mm. just, I mean, I adore Narcissus increasingly. And I think it's because tulips are the peacocks of the spring garden. But uh, Narcissus are the long lasters. And where we holiday quite often on the west coast of Scotland, there are Narcissus are coming up that were planted by the Victorians. And, you know, I just find that amazing. These clumps have been coming up for, you know, a century and a half, basically. <laughs> and I just find that incredibly impressive with no gardening whatsoever. They're just sort of near the doorstep, just coming up through the lawn. And so I, I just chose one, uh, which I know to be incredibly good in the vase, unbelievably good perfume, very elegant, brilliant naturalizer, where 20 bulbs here have now turned into 2000, 10 years on, and it's called Narcissus Actea. And it's one of the pheasant's eye group. And that's why it's got that elegance and scent of the pheasant's eye group. But it, for me, again, if I was only allowed to take one to the moon, it would be Narcissus Actea. What about you? I, I love that one too. And um, I'm, I'm converted actually to Narcissi by, by seeing them at Perch Hill. I do think they look at their happiest in grass, but I'm going to be planting the romantic Narcissi collection in small pots because I love the idea of bringing in the small pots for the weekend and then them going back outside. And unlike tulips, Narcissi seem to be happier in small pots, I've found. Mm. They don't seem to mind having their roots more confined. And this collection has got a... A narcissi, a type of flower that a few years ago I would have scoffed at, but it's called My Story. Mm. And there's something mm. very, um, you know, the Cadbury's Creams eggs you get at Easter when you break them open and you see that hideous, it's made to look like an egg, but of course it's, I dread to think what it is actually. Yeah. But it, it's very wacky and it's centred and I think we both loved it. Yeah. I loved it when we arranged it. And that's with um, another two varieties that are also semi-doubled. So it's not a collection that's good for pollinators. It's purely visual and scent. Abba and Ericheri, and they both, I think, are multi-story stemmed, so you get several stems off each bulb. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having having them to bring inside for for lots of scent and something that people will go, oh, I've not seen them looking like that before, because I do hate rubber duck uh, daffodils. Yeah, no, so do I. Um, I think if you're going to grow them, go for wacky or, as you've mentioned, perennial and beautifully elegant. Yeah, no, I've come, I, I, I particularly the scented good cut flower varieties yeah. I'm obsessed by. So then you mentioned wallflowers and I feel for sort of winter, early spring bedding, we've got to say one of the polyanthus. And for me, mm. without doubt, it would be Stella Champagne. And I've been blown away by that uh, over the last few years. So it's it's a little primrose that's the beautiful colours, the sort of peach, nectarine, apricot, sort of yellow, peachy, strawberry kind of shades all in one with these lovely crinkly leaves that look like mini Savoy cabbage leaves. And it's scented. It lasts brilliantly in the vase. It flowers lightly from January, but really comes into its own from February. And I'm born in February and I love having lots of flowers in the house if we have people to dinner on my birthday. And I know I can go to that bed because it's perennial. It's there year on year. It's a fantastic container plant. And of course, it's edible. So we have it growing with the salad 
and we use it to decorate cakes in the spring. And it flowers, as I say, slightly from January and on until June often, but certainly to May. So for me, for square inch use for a spring plant that you can plant now, Polyanthus Stella Champagne would be way up there, whether I've got a window box or plenty of room at the front of a border. It's for me an absolute winner. You, Arthur? Well, it's not in the catalogue, but I do, to my delight, know it's online because I looked it up. It's my favourite viola, viola tiger eye, red. But I've ordered the jumbo plugs of that because it's just my favourite, favourite thing in the world. What I would say is either plant it in a pot on its own or be careful how many bulbs you plant underneath it because violas, they do tend to get smothered if they use as pot toppers. So if you want to plant less bulbs, use it then or just plant it quite in a quite generous pot and it will thrive and the more you pick violas the more they flower they're very much like the primulas sarah's just described there you know pick them all your pansies violas pick them for the vase and they won't want to seed that way they'll just carry on um i've been picking honestly that for months because i've been pressing the flowers this year Mm. and it's only just tied out so i've literally had nearly six months of these plants flowering from last autumn yeah so yeah, oh, it's a beauty. They're, they're wonderful. I love, I used to love the stone tiger's eye when I was a girl. Mm. Um, so I've always loved them too. So a few more things. I definitely wanted to mention a family of perennials, which of course you plant now to flower next spring. And actually, without doubt, my top favourite are the hellebores. Yes. And particularly this new generation of hellebores, which are called the Balladia series. Balladii series with a A-E on the end. And we've got two here. And I planted them en masse because I saw them in a trial in Holland. So I planted them, one on the north side of the house here and one on the northeast side of the house here. And they are incredible. One is called Maestro. And Maestro flowers from sort of soonish, really, October, November, right the way through until February. And then Merlin flowers from... January until sort of June. But between those two, I've got the most beautiful crimson, slaty, rich, exotic, dark crimson stemmed hellebores on a, a shady, shady, dry, shady patch, which would, you know, so difficult to find interesting things to grow. And I pick from them all the way through the winter. They give me more joy, for instance, on Christmas Day than almost anything. So it's got to be hellebores. And of course, I'm sure you will know, but to make hellebores last in a vase, you need to sear the stem ends for five to 10 seconds in boiling water, then into cold water to stop them cooking, and then into the vase. And if you can possibly pick flower stems where there's already one that's dropped, one flower on the stem that's dropped its anthers and beginning to form a seed pod, they're more likely to last in the vase. But these Balladii varieties have actually been bred to be very reliable as cut flowers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if you're struggling for a Christmas present, order one. What could be nicer? Yeah. Um, you know, for Christmas party gifts. I think, you know, they're very perennial. I'm going to repot mine. They're under a cherry tree, bone dry shade, and they're looking fine. So hopefully they'll be back in flower soon. And by the door, as Sarah said, even the foliage I think is lovely. They've done far better than our hostas this year, yeah, <laughs> I have to say. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're slug resistant too. Uh, so over to you. Um, going back to bulbs, just thinking very early, early in the year, I love a crocus and yeah. my favourite one is one we've sold for ages. It's called Spring Beauty. Tiny, elegant, sophisticated. It's a beautiful earl grey lilac 
And on a spring day, when the sun just tries to come out, it senses that and it opens out and you see these beautiful orange anthers. So by the door, window box, where you can see it as you're, you know, going about your day or, you know, when you draw the curtains on those very, very grey days, it really will lift your spirits. So yeah, you can't plant too many crocus. Yeah. Sarah? I want to finish with two things, but with Mm. you in between. The next thing is autumn sort of increases and it gets colder and a little bit less colourful and a little bit gloomier out there. I have increasingly been taken with a few select houseplants as well as forced bulbs. So, I mean, I love hyacinths and now is the time to plant hyacinths. I love paper whites, but they are really fabulous. But of course, they don't last from what they do if you dry them out. But I do really like some of the more unusual houseplants. And perhaps my favourite of all, which we've got in the bathroom here on the window ledge, in quite a sunny south-facing window ledge, is one of the foliage begonias, and it's called Hybrida griffon. And I always think a good test for me is if I give plants away and they still survive with people who don't pride themselves on being particularly good at looking after garden plants or even trickier house plants. And I find begonia griffon is just incredibly reliable. And certainly several friends of mine and both my daughters have had really good success with relatively neglect of begonia griffon. So I think... It's worth thinking about. I mean, I know you're not keen on houseplants. How much shade does that cope with? Really, that's the thing. Really dark shade. It really puts up with... I think it'll with, survive in our bathroom. I do. I think it's, you know, it likes that humidity of the bath um, running every so often. In a dark so corner. Often. Yeah. Oh, I might get one then. Definitely, definitely, definitely worth a go. No, I didn't yeah. spot that. And uh, <laughs> one more from you. Amaryllis. Um, yes. Because again, for January, February, I don't particularly like them at Christmas because I just feel that the house is decked up to the nine so you don't particularly need a great beautiful cartoon like flower but there's one we do called green magic which is more like a cross between an oriental lily and an orchid to me with a beautiful flush center that radiates out and then it's green cream and it's the shape it's not too huge it's still quite elegant with a slight turn to each petal and the bulbs we do are the big biggest bulbs we can get so you will get several stems rather than just one my only resentment is I, I've never been able to get any amaryllis bulb from wherever they come from to reflower again. So I'll be honest about it. Oh. I do treat them as a sort of bulb flower arrangement. I just haven't got room to look at those horrible rubber leaves for six months. I do tend to pass them on to aunts who've got sheds that they can linger in or whatever. And occasionally I'll get a text message saying, oh, that amaryllis has flowered again. I think, oh, lovely. I've just ordered a lovely big one that I know will definitely flower. But I pot them up about mid-November time because I like them to flower in the new year. So uh, yeah, amaryllis green magic will be taking me through those months where I haven't got much to cut from the garden. Fabulous. Okay, so last one from me and then we'll call it a day. So definitely an edible And for me, it's rhubarb and our rhubarb collection, which has got an early, which is timpani early, a mid-season, which is raspberry red, and Victoria, which is late, will give you rhubarb to pick from March until July. And I love rhubarb for the same reason as I love Narcissus. They've been coming up uh, in this holiday house in Scotland on total neglect for 100 years or more. Wow. Obviously, I didn't plant it, but up they come every year and every spring and summer I can go and pick it. I didn't have anything to do with planting. I don't look after it and up they come. And uh, so I love it for that. And the final thing I'd like to say is the best ever recipe with rhubarb 
which we do almost daily here through the spring. And we actually freeze rhubarb in the spring so we can have this through the winter as well, is a rhubarb cordial. And that is literally just cooking down a big saucepan of rhubarb cut into little chunks uh, with some star anise in the water. And you boil it for a little bit with some orange zest. I mean, literally five, 10 minutes to cook it down. And then we drip it through a jelly bag, collect the juice, make it into a syrup. And you get this slightly licorice tasting, utterly delicious, tangy, not too sweet cordial base, which we then add fizzy water into. Or if we're feeling more partyish, we use a Prosecco. And rhubarb and star anise cordial is an absolute cracker. And I'll put the recipe on the website. Thanks for listening to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. Next week, I'm taking a break and Sarah will be chatting to Anna Greenland, who is a vegetable gardener in a small scale garden. And she's also a cook using all of her beautifully grown organic produce. So Sarah will be chatting to her about the kitchen and the veg garden. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.